So the human experience is one of deep extremes. Um, even the songs that we were singing, did you notice um, the, the tension or the extremes that we were singing about um, through our joys and in our grief? Or in the midst of deep sorrow, I see your light is breaking through. just want to highlight those things that we've just sung. And, and then even point out that our psalm for today, uh, Psalm 42, um, is also one of deep extremes. So I wonder what this uh, week has been like uh, for you. Uh, for some, it's been involved uh, attending weddings or planning funerals. Um, it could be a feast or famine. Um, here in Psalm 42, we see that in these 11 verses, there contains side by side both resolute faith and devastating doubt. And the first half is about trusting God or praying to God in the midst of drought. And the second half is about trusting God in the midst of drowning. So the human experience is often one of deep extremes. And so in Psalm 42, which you've already heard read to us, thank you, Robbie, it's his debut reading, guys. It's an, a momentous day. <laughs> History was made just now. So in Psalm 42, which you heard, we have this honest and this accurate glimpse into the life of a worshiper. And he, maybe like you sometimes, ping-pongs back and forth between affirming his faith and trust in the most dependable God. And then the next minute, he's questioning him or he's vocalizing, have you forgotten about me? Do you even remember me? One writer commenting on this psalm describes it as an honest prayer from a discouraged saint. And in these 11 verses, others have seen, um, I guess, characteristics of both manic and depressive episodes in this one psalm. Now, I'm not here, nor am I qualified to give any kind of like diagnosis concerning this ancient writer. But if we're honest, I think many of us can relate to many of the feelings and the complaints and the longings that we see in Psalm 42. And with that in mind, I'm going to pray, and we'll look at these 11 verses together. So Lord, uh, we come to you, and some of them, some people here, very much relate with the, the confident declarations of praise and confidence in this chapter. And Lord, some of us can relate with the desperate cries for help and even the expressions of doubt that are present in this chapter. Uh, Spirit of God, work through um, your flawed servant this morning to communicate hope to both categories. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this divides up into two sections very simply. And so the outline may be up there in a moment, but uh, it's how to pray in the drought, 
and then how to pray in the drowning. And so since we've been, you know, in this series, which is uh, very likely coming to a conclusion today, no promises, but probably is, um, we've been learning to pray from the Psalms. And so the final installment, the possible final installment in this series um, is going to remind us that oftentimes to pray, when we really pray, it's that we take up the invitation from our Heavenly Father to process our emotions in His presence. Um, Even processing through conflicted emotions before the face of God. And so here we begin the first half, praying in the drought. Now in Ireland, you don't know what that word means. Uh, But um, drought is when there's not enough rain, when there's a lack of water, okay? Now, this exists in some other parts of the world. And that seems to be, verse 1, definitely the image that we begin this in, a drought. And and not just verse 1 talks about a drought of water. I think almost every verse in this first half speaks about a drought of something. We see repeated descriptions of lack or loss in the first half. We have in verse 1, a thirsty deer who is hopeful for a mouthful of water. In the next verse, we have an unsatisfied worshiper who wishes that they had a closer encounter with their God. In verse 3, we have the tear-stained cheeks and the empty belly of a taunted believer. And finally, verse 4, we have the happy memories of friends that are only memories to a lonely psalmist. And so after these images of loss and lack, of metaphorical or actual drought, all of this combines together for verse 5. And different translations render this in different ways. It's the cast-down soul. It's the discouraged soul. It's the despairing soul. It's the disquieted or the dejected soul. And, And all of this compilation of lack and loss I believe is, has this underlying problem is that the psalmist feels that he's far from God. And that makes all of these other problems mount up and become unbearable. We don't know the exact settings or particulars of Psalm 42. Some of them we do. Uh, last week, uh, we, we were given like the whole backstory. Uh, before verse 1 even started. So we knew the exact setting of Psalm 51, and thanks again, Kean, for that. Um, but here, this is a little bit mysterious. We don't know exactly what's going on when this author is writing about this experience of being far from God. Now, there's a couple guesses. The first guess is that this psalm, along with Psalm 3 and 4 and others, they're written by David during the time of Absalom's rebellion, uh, when David is forced to flee 
from his palace and the home of Jerusalem or the city of David, and he is living, he's sleeping rough out in the wilderness. It's quite possible that that is the place that he's living in exile after Absalom's rebellion, and that he's longing to get back to the worship center of Jerusalem. Uh, perhaps this is a much later psalm, as some of them are, uh, written by uh, the nation of Israel as they have been captured by Babylon and taken into captivity. And they look back and they recall when they were back in their own land and they had access to the temple to worship. Or perhaps this is just a generic believer looking back on their first love and longing for that kind of like renewal of their affections and, and their hearts to engage with God as they once did previously. I think Psalm 42 also has implications for the Christian on the 7th of November, 2021. And I'm thinking of one, one group, and that's the group that isn't here right now. And they're watching live on the live stream. Everyone turn around and say hi. <laughs> um, hi, we wish you were here. Um, so I know that right now um, there are at least nine people in our church right now who either have COVID diagnosis or are um, close contacts or are waiting um, the results of a test. And so they've opted uh, not to come here today. And uh, maybe they're watching now. Maybe they'll watch it later. Maybe they never will, but they'll imply that they did. But uh, um, So and our, our thoughts and our prayers are, are with you. Uh, maybe it's a Christian on the 7th of November, and you're watching the live stream uh, because of any other reasons. Uh, maybe it's because of a long-term debilitating illness or, or caring for somebody who's ill or just a plain old work schedule that just doesn't, doesn't allow it. Uh, maybe that those two categories or others like wish that you could be here with your brothers and sisters and, and just knows that there's like this intangible boost that comes from, from the gathered assembly of the saints together. Uh, to be led in song, uh, to have scripture read to us, uh, to be able to sit under the preaching of the word, there is an intangible strengthening that comes from that. And I think all of us in the room knows what it's like to not have that for a year and a half. And presently, hopefully, we're benefiting from it and that we're not soon to forget what it's like to not benefit from this. And so Psalm 42, with this plaintive desire to want to come together to the gathered assembly but not be able to, we all, either in recent memory or present experience, have a taste of that. Or maybe you're here in the room and you haven't missed a Sunday since we reopened. Maybe you've been here over and over again. You're doing all the right things, singing all the right songs, but you still feel like God is far away. Well, for the psalmist, there was a time when he says, you know what, I, there, there was, everything was clicking into place at one point in the distant or or recent past, he's like, I have all these fond memories of the encouragement and the fellowship of the gathering that took place. It seems that maybe according to verse 3 or verse 4, verse 4, uh, he was involved in some kind of worship-leading ministry. 
That's why people think this is maybe David himself who's writing this, um, saying that, like, I was there, and I, and I was maybe choosing the songs, or I was in the front row gathering everybody, saying, come on, let's go to the house of the Lord. Verse 4 says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Or here's how John Knox renders or translates um, this same verse. He says, memories come back to me yet, melting my heart, how once I would join with the throng, leading the way to God's house amid cries of joy and thanksgiving and all the, the bustle of holiday. Now, the psalmist considers his present spiritual drought, and then he contrasts it with, with the vitality that he can so clearly remember. And then he comes to this conclusion. I better talk to myself about this. And, and that's what we see um, in the next verse. And if you've been paying attention, that is a very familiar theme because that's the same conclusion that the psalmist comes to in Psalm 62, which you looked at a few chapter, a few weeks ago. In Psalm 62 and in Psalm 42, we see the important spiritual discipline of, listen to this, talking to yourself. <laughs> it's an important way for spiritual growth and discipleship is to talk to yourself. You see, I know that not everybody is confident or comfortable with public speaking. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld like, famously joked that public speaking is the number one fear for Americans. And the number two fear is death. And he says that on any given funeral, most people would rather be in the coffin than the one that's talking in, in public. And so I have no fear of public speaking, and I'm one of the, the, the freakish who uh, has been interrupting teachers and signing up for drama class and doing all of these things in my youth that have made me into the annoying, confident person that, that I am today. But so I don't know how you feel about public speaking, but all of you are invited to private speaking. And you shouldn't be nervous about private speaking. It's your solemn duty and I would say your responsibility to do some private speaking to your own soul. Did you see that in verse chapter, four, Psalm 42, verse 5? Um, up on the screen, I'm going to read from the NIV translation, but uh, whatever you have, it's there. He says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So you must learn to do this as well. If, as we all agreed and nodded, that life is full of deep extremes, 
and we're pulled towards one or pulled towards the other, if that's the case for you, it's very important for you to address your soul, your very self, with the truth of God's word to bring stability in a chaotic and back-and-forth pendulum world that many of us live in. Don't just listen to yourself, but take control of the situation and talk to yourself. So make sure that you, that you do private speaking and that you address your own soul, as the psalmist does here in verse 5. So the battle to encourage our hearts with the truths that our mind knows, it's actually never over. There's so much, we look around, we look within, and there's all these reasons for discouragement, and yet we need God's truth preached directly to our own heart from your own mouth to bring encouragement. There's much to lament, and there's much to grieve, but we can't let that have the last word. So I've said this before, and here we are saying it again, like the sermon that you hear on Sunday mornings it's valuable. It's good for you. I promise. No, well, I hope so. I sure am trying, for goodness sake. I want it to be as beneficial as possible. But even more than hearing from somebody else is you've got to preach the good news, preach the gospel to yourself. Speak the truth of God's word to your own soul again and again. You got to just like declare to yourself, how it's going to be. Like, be the boss of yourself. Say, like, hey, listen up, soul. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> hey, listen up. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Because <laughs> a lot of guys, in, there's reasons to be cast down. Uh, we're not just like, you know, optimi I'm not an optimist. There certainly are reasons and a dozen more reasons to be cast down. And so we could say to our soul, why are you cast down? And then even like hear the answer, and you could even say something like this. You know what? That actually makes sense. That is challenging. I get it, soul. But here's what we're not going to forget. We're not going to forget who is high above those circumstances that you just listed. Yes, you could say. Yes, yeah, soul. We're in a spiritual drought but our trust and our confidence isn't based on our circumstances, is it? Our hope is not in circumstantial pleasantries. We're going to hope in God, verse 5. You get that, soul? You listening? Hello? Praise and worship is not just a past tense thing that we used to do, verse 4. We don't just remember when we used to do that. It actually is going to be something that we're doing again. Look at verse 5. I shall again praise him. And listen up, soul. You're coming with me. This is what we're going to do. We will praise the Lord. Because our hope is in God, he is the living God. So that means we have a living hope. You got that, soul? That's how you kind of preach to yourself. I'm kind of mean to myself. <laughs> Maybe you could do it with a nicer tone. But you say, hey, I'm here to listen to you but I'm not only going to listen. I'm going to speak truth. I want to be encouraging to myself. I need it. You need it. So faith challenges doubt, and doubt speaks to the faith, challenges the doubt that we have, and then speaks and says to ourselves, put your hope in God. 
And this is not just like generic, bland, vanilla optimism. This is not just like sending good vibes. He's like, nope, I have a specific reason why you should no longer be downcast. He doesn't put on some reggae music and say, baby, don't worry about a thing because I am so glad that works. Thank you very much. <laughs> Putting myself out there, yeah. It doesn't just say, hey, everything is probably going to be fine. Just trust the odds in this. He says, nope, hope in God. The God of specificity, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the real God. Uh, the one that we just sang about, the one that, that, that his son not sparing sent him to die, that we can scarce take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. That's the one that we hope in. The one who raised Jesus from the dead. And so we're called to place our hope in him. And so there, here we have verse 5, this like great demonstration of self-talk or preaching the good news to yourself. And so... As we look at verse 6, uh-oh, it didn't work. Do you guys see verse 6? He's like, hey, listen up, soul. Don't be downcast. What does verse 6 say? My soul is cast down within me. <laughs> so he gave it his best. He gave his soul a good talking to. And his soul is still downcast. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was uh, first a very successful physician and then went into uh, uh, full-time ministry and was, was very influential as a preacher in the UK for in the past, one of the great UK preachers in the past century, um, he, he actually wrote like a whole book on this psalm. And, and the book is called Spiritual Depression. And, uh, and he sees, along with others, like parallels between clinical depression and then what the psalm describes here. And I had a copy of this, and I loaned it out to one of you. But you never gave it back. So I was looking for it. So I'm just, if anyone recognizes that book, you can just repent and give me back my book. Because <laughs> I was looking for it all week. And, and there's free and full forgiveness for whoever wants to, to, to give it back. <laughs> so he says, and guys, this is a paraphrase of my memory, not an actual quote for the above reasons. He says that, that so many of our problems come from undiscerningly listening to ourselves and can be solved by careful, thoughtful speaking to ourselves. Declaring the truth to ourselves and then internalizing it. However, if verses 5 and 6 are true, it means that it's not always a guaranteed instant fix or your money back. Uh, it's a process. It's a pattern. It is a discipline, like I said earlier. And discipline involves repetition. 
And through repetition comes formation. And so after like this rousing session of preaching to himself in verse 5, his soul is downcast again in verse 6. And then we see the imagery kind of shifts as we head into the second half of this psalm. So where have we been so far? We can see our outline. We see previously how to pray in a drought. And then now we see how to pray in the drowning. And so from six onwards, we learn about praying while drowning. A deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me, he says in verse 7. So we have this water imagery. So verse 1 is about how thirsty everyone and everything is. Verse 7 is there's too much water coming down on top of me and overflowing me. Roaring waterfalls, pounding down from on high, or breakers and waves coming over him. And maybe you have waded out into the ocean, and you know what it's like to have, like, you know, the waves kind of lap at your ankles, and then they go deeper to your knees, and then your waist, and then your chest, and you're at that time when you kind of have to, to jump up, you know, to kind of float um, as the waves come and you kind of float to the top. And then if it's the, the weather getting more choppier or if you go deeper, there's a time when the waves have the danger of just going over you and actually break on top of you. Wave after wave, and there's a danger of drowning. One hymn writer speaks about when sorrows like sea billows roll. And this drowning, downcast, despairing believer is still trying to cling on to his faith. Look at verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He says some real important truth in verse 8. You know, verse 8 is a great verse to memorize, to circle. You know, lean over to your neighbor and circle it in their Bible. Highlight it for them. It's a good one. He says, I'm drowning here, but I know that God loves me. I know that he is still with me. I might not be able to join in the corporate worship of the temple anymore, but at night... His song is still with me. And this statement of confidence comes right in the middle of his laments. It's like it's providing a few like precious gasps of air under the cascading downpour of his trials and his tormentors. But he's like, yeah, but you know, but I know this. I know God loves me. I know God loves me. Does it work? Look at verse 9 and 10. He's back at it again. He's back to describing his painful experiences, and he feels forsaken once again. You know, there's, there's, once I've kind of like noticed this pattern of like ping-ponging back and forth, it's like it's, 
mildly humorous, it seems, but of course, it's not funny at all. Just noticing how it's all these declarations of trust and cries of despair and doubt. So as I said at the beginning, I bet many of us have experienced and embodied these emotions and these experiences, but gratefully, probably not in a compact 11-verse period of time. Although maybe you have gone back and forth. Usually it's spread over a lifetime. Sometimes it can be condensed into a few moments. And so he comes back and he preaches the same sermon all over again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, just a few weeks ago, back when we were doing two services, you know, I would preach the same sermon two times in a row. But, you know, thankfully, to two different groups of people. Now this guy preaches the same sermon to the same group of people all over again. And ironically, the preacher and the congregation is the same, and he just preaches second service to himself. He revisits the same theme again. And the reason why is that he needs to hear it all over again. And we're not going to look at Psalm 43, but if you glance, Psalm 43, verse 5, he repeats it again to himself in the next psalm. Seems like this is like a a personal liturgy um, that he carries with him when he's discouraged. He confronts himself, invites himself to hope in God. And so for us, as we are trying, and as we have been trying for the past weeks and months to learn how to pray from the Psalms, Um, we see that we're invited to come to God in our droughts and in our drowning. And we're even invited to bring like our tangled mess of contradictory emotions. And Lord, here's my declarations of faith, and here's my deep doubts, and I don't even have time to sort them out. (laughs) So here... We're invited to bring what we have to the Lord and lay that tangled mess of contradictions before the throne of grace. Whether it's our lamentations or our praise, whether it's our thankfulness or our fears, our concerns or our confidence, and the longing of our souls and the darkness where we go, we can say, here they are. They're all I've got, and I lay them before you. And so that's our final, probably, installment in learning to pray from the Psalms. In our droughts and in our doubts, in our drowning and in our panicking, we can bring them before the throne of grace. And now we are actually going to transition into a time of of communion. Um, And during this... I just want to remind you of, of the good news that we, that we celebrate. You see, there is a God that we hope in, and he's not just sitting on a throne, 
but he came down to rescue and to redeem and to give us something to hope in. So God, who is cried out to in Psalm 42, he sends his son Jesus to live a fully human life um, with the full range of experiences that we see here, with all of the emotional vitality that we see on display. And on the night of his betrayal, he prayed prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane that would have fit just perfectly into Psalm 42. Prayers of desperation and trust, yielding his life into the hands of the Father so that together they would accomplish the salvation of all who would believe. And there upon that cross, the waves and the breakers of divine punishment and judgment against sin fell like a pounding waterfall from heaven to earth upon the cross of Calvary. And and there even on the cross, just like how in verse 3 the psalmist is taunted by his enemies, saying, where is your God? So too, Jesus, upon that cross, under that waterfall of wrath, was also mocked by people saying, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. But in the midst of the taunting, Jesus remained steadfast and took our sins to the grave and then rose in victory. I'm going to close with a a line from a hymn, and then Erica and the team will lead us in a time of, of singing, and during the songs, you are free to take communion and commemoration and thankfulness to that great act of rescue. But J.J. Hopkins writes, View that closing scene of anguish, all God's waves and billows roll, over him there left to languish, on the cross to save my soul. Matchless love, how vast, how free, Jesus gave himself for me. And so, Lord, we thank you that you invite us to come to you in the drought and that you invite us to come to you when it feels like we're drowning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there upon the cross you thirsted so that we might be forever refreshed. We thank you that you died so that we can live. Lord, as we sing, as we contemplate, as we sit, or as we stand, may we just, in grateful hearts, commemorate and and thank you for your wonderful rescuing act. And I pray, Lord, that we would hope in God and that we would again praise you, for you are our salvation and our God. Amen.